Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Your Story Transmedia, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in the Winnipeg area. If you, like me, enjoy reading comics, watching anime, or just generally gaming and nerding out, but maybe you're looking for a little bit of a change of pace, then give Your Story a shot. They've just recently launched an entire lineup of comic books, including their flagship comic, The River Knows, which is set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. You can think of it as a hard-boiled detective noir story mixed with supernatural elements, The X-Files, and Mad Men. It's very spooky and sinister until you catch the comforting and familiar sight of Portage in Maine. You can pick up a digital ebook version of the first issue at yourstory.ca for just $1.99, as well as a limited edition first print run 8.5 by 11 version for $11.99. If you're into gaming, be sure to check out Your Story's upcoming published game, Alien Machine Glow, which features the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who gains the ability to see aliens. You can learn more about Alien Machine Glow as well as Your Story's other comic books at yourstory.ca and be sure to use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. On tonight's episode, we are going to be discussing the outcome of the New York Islanders versus Tampa Bay Lightning series, the upcoming Stanley Cup final, and some trade and free agency rumors. I promise we'll get back to the player review stuff, but there's a lot of information and news to cover first, so we'll get the junky stuff out of the way, the the things that don't really concern the Jets, and discuss that first before we talk about Winnipeg-related things. So, as you can guess by the fact that I've talked about there being a Stanley Cup Finals preview, we do in fact have our finalized matchup as a result of the New York Islanders being eliminated by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Sorelli scored an overtime winner to take Game 6, and ultimately I think the Islanders put up a pretty good fight, but they just couldn't seal a deal in this series in which they were able to actually create decent amounts of offense, especially decently dangerous opportunities in front of the net, but they just don't have the finishing talent and skating level to hang around a team long term like the Lightning. In this game, you know, Tampa Bay pretty much came out firing on all four cylinders. I think that it was very difficult for the Isles to get out of their own end. Tampa Bay was basically running the shot clock up against them, and Verlamov was extremely busy throughout most of the evening. I feel like You know, what we saw with Tampa Bay is that the Lightning just don't really have, like I've said in previous episodes, any notable weaknesses that I can pick out as being a net negative. There are players that I think aren't particularly great in most scenarios and in most circumstances, but the Tampa Bay roster is a little bit different. Because of the way John Cooper deploys that team, and because of the support that most of his skaters get, you're going to be hard-pressed to find many guys who actually struggle on that team. Like, Bogosian and Shen, I feel like in their own end, are not exactly stalwart defenders, but in offense and in transition, I feel like they've actually been able to contribute on a couple of opportunities. And that's something that is characteristic of most of the players that Tampa Bay picks up. They look for players who fit their particular archetype, or at least their tactical system, and they fit them to it. Outside of Tampa Bay, some of these guys probably wouldn't be as successful. You know, we saw Barkley Goodrow playing for the Sharks, and he wasn't really on a four-checking line that was particularly dangerous when he was in San Jose. On the line with a guy like Blake Coleman, though, all of a sudden you see Goodrow has a number of skill sets and talents that make him very effective alongside a, a really talented playmaking and four-checking center who has a high work ethic. This Tampa roster is just insanely deep, and I think ultimately that's what sank New York. The Isles, I think, played their game exactly how they wanted to in most of the series. There were a couple of games, including this one, where I think Trotz probably wasn't pleased with how the team came out. Um, Some of these games, you know, New York just really wasn't able to get going because Tampa Bay's waves of forechecking pressure and offensive zone possession really killed them. I think the other thing is that New York 
really couldn't afford any injuries because most of the players who are their starters play some kind of pivotal role in the way that Trot sees the ice. That became abundantly clear when Casey Zizekas went down and all of a sudden their dump and chase strategy or their offensive zone possession, especially with the bottom six, kind of fell apart. This Isles team relies on some of their role-playing guys to really take the mantle of these forechecks and their wall battles. I will admit that I didn't anticipate Zizekas being as important in absence as he was in this series, but you could definitely tell that once he was out, it was a pretty serious situation. He ended up having a detached retina, so he needed surgery for that, and that's like a six-week or seven-week recovery. Either way, a really tremendous loss for New York, but I also think that, you know, Tampa Bay has enough depth to kind of cover their own losses. You know, Braden Point was in and out of the series, Steven Stamkos is still sidelined, and yet they didn't really look like they missed a beat. This was a team that continued to dominate offensive opportunities, zone possession, most of the boxes that you need to tick when you are wanting to win a series and win it in confident fashion. The only thing that you could maybe criticize was that maybe sometimes they overcooked a few passes or some of their finishing wasn't as good as it could be, but I think that that's just a product of A, Varlamov being outstanding throughout much of the series, and B, the Trots era just not really giving you much in the way of tons of scoring opportunities, because the Isles, for the most part, really try to lock it down on their own defensive end, and I think that that is something that is a recurring theme with this team. You know, they know what they are. They're, they're limited in offensive talent, but what they do have is, again, a high defensive work rate, a lot of grindy or forechecking guys, but for the most part, players who can be trusted when in control of the puck and can maybe make an outlet pass. I think where Tampa Bay ended up kind of killing New York is over time you could tell that the Isles got tired, and so they would start making uncharacteristic mistakes. There were passes that went to nowhere that immediately got turned over and sent back into the offensive zone, and some of those opportunities ended up becoming goals. To beat Tampa, you have to be willing to survive, and I think that that is something that New York just wasn't equipped to do, because most teams really aren't built to skate with Tampa over a seven-game series. The Lightning just have so much depth, a ton of offensive firepower, and pretty much, I would say, a well-rounded roster at almost every part of it. There just aren't really any particular weaknesses that I could easily point out, and that creates matchup nightmare scenarios where... Tampa Bay is able to roll all four lines, and they can do it with pretty much any arrangement that they desire. I'm not sure how teams are going to game plan for that, especially next season, but looking at this roster, I think we can tell that this Tampa team definitely deserved to advance to the Stanley Cup Finals and really has earned its place throughout this entire postseason as the Cup favorite. It's taken the Lightning a little bit longer than they probably would have wanted to get to this stage because they've gotten close to the Stanley Cup Finals before but just fallen short in a couple of seasons despite being one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NHL, for a couple of seasons now. They finally made it though, but they're not going to be facing the Vegas Golden Knights. Instead, somehow, they are going to be facing the Dallas Stars and maybe that matchup is not quite the one that they would be hoping for. In just a little bit, we'll preview why the Dallas Stars may not be the easiest out for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But before then, I wanted to give a shout out to rockauto.com. If you've ever tried to buy replacement auto parts, you're probably under the impression that it's always a difficult process. You've had to go to retail brick and mortar stores and you wait in line, you find out they don't even have what you need in stock, and you might not even know what you're looking for. Many of us out there aren't exactly automotive experts, and we really can't be bothered to try and sit there and figure out what make, year, model, and car part we're looking for. When you're looking for a one-stop, easy fix, head on over to rockauto.com. The fine folks at rockauto.com have been in the automotive industry for over 20 years and have put together an extremely intuitive, easy-to-use website that allows you to filter for the exact parts you need based on your vehicle, as well as price range, so you can get the exact parts that you need at the price you want. Whether you need a new engine control module or a floor mat replacement for the one you dropped that greasy taco on, rockauto.com is sure to have what you need. 
And best of all, you could save 20-50% to 50% off retail brick-and-mortar in-store pricing. If you place an order, be sure to write Locked On in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. During quarantine, trying to decide what to have for dinner can be a bit difficult, especially if you've got picky and choosy eaters in the house. If you pull the family, five different people will tell you five different things, whether they're looking for Thai, Chinese, Mexican, Italian, or even frozen yogurt. Pleasing everyone used to be difficult until DoorDash came along. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is super easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery option. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-to spots or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. During these difficult times, supporting your local eateries and restaurants has never been more important. With DoorDash, it's easier than ever to do so, and you might even save a few bucks. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDONNHL. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDONNHL. Not only are you supporting plenty of restaurants that need your patronage, you're also saving a bit of money. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNHL for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Welcome back to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets show. We are talking about the Stanley Cup Finals, which start tomorrow in September. That's a thing that's happening. And it is between the Dallas Stars and the Tampa Bay Lightning, two teams that I feel like couldn't be further apart in both their approach and their style and roster composition. Dallas is a weird team. When you think about how they've succeeded so far, you know, for the first thing, I think a lot of people thought that they weren't going to be able to score many goals. And in fact, they've scored quite a few goals, especially on the power play and at even strength uh, against multiple opponents, whether it was Vegas, you know, the Colorado Avalanche and a couple of other teams. So Dallas definitely has offensive chops, at least in some areas. I, I think when you look at the way that they've created offense, especially on the power play, Miro Heiskanen has been one of the most important factors. They've gotten goal scoring from a guy called Denis Gurionov, and Gurionov, for a lot of people, was probably a bit of an unknown. He was a, a decently touted prospect when he was taken, but for one reason or another, his development track just didn't really solidify itself into something where people felt like he was going to make a really major NHL impact. And yet, when he's come to this Dallas Stars team, you know, he's not getting a whole lot of ice time, but for some reason, he just keeps finding himself in good opportunities to put the puck away. He's not really a gifted playmaker. He's not a big setup guy. He's a poacher and a finisher. Then you've got the emergence of Yoel Kiviranta, who I didn't really know about before he entered this playoff series, and I think a little bit of last series. He's only had, I think, less than 20 total NHL games. Maybe he's just about hit that mark now. So obviously this guy is relatively new to the league. I think he's like 24, but every time he touches the puck, he's seemingly somehow gotten himself into dangerous positions, and he's been very good. He's been one of Dallas's leading expected goals players, and you know, obviously for expected goal differential when it comes to creating offense on this Dallas team, they're not a team that really likes to take a lot of point shots, either from the perimeter or much higher up the ice. This is a squad that for the most part has made its living sitting in front of the net and creating lots of net front chaos. I think that there is something to this style of play because Dallas knows that they're not exactly scoring goals from the point or from really great distances. They've definitely gotten lucky deflections with guys like Radulov parking themselves in front of the net and firing some point shots, or maybe one from uh, a bit of a freak shot from like Klingberg or Alexiak. But beyond that, their objective is basically to get as close to the net as humanly possible and hope that they can kind of scrum a goal in because they just don't have the kind of offense that a team like Tampa Bay has. 
And I feel like this is going to be something of a mismatch because Dallas needs more pace and more skill. And what they're going to have to contend with is a team that's not going to give them very many looks at either the net or allow them to get out of their own defensive end. Anton Hudobin is going to have to work even harder than he did against some of these other teams. Now, what I will say is, if they were able to see off Vegas, who were the second best team in this playoff picture, there's a shot that they can actually knock off the Lightning. And that they did it in, what, like five games against Vegas, I think is very impressive. But, you know, Anton Hudobin had a lot to do with that. And I think that they got some, what I'll call, quote, end quote, timely contributions from some of their depth forwards, even though every contribution is technically timely. It's just I, I want to stress that I think a lot of the players that were scoring for them are not guys that I would expect to be the front runners. You know, Tyler Sagan was kept pretty quiet. Jamie Benn had a couple of scoring opportunities and some points here and there. But I think for the most part, a lot of the depth players really stepped up. What we haven't seen are some of their other forwards really getting involved. They kind of need to see a bit more from guys like Blake Como, Jason Dickinson, Rope Hints, etc. I mean, some of these players have been around for a while. They know the score, and I think that they need to be a little bit more active or at least creating more opportunities because Tampa Bay won't give you a whole lot of chances. If it gets to be an end-to-end sprint, you know, obviously Tampa Bay is going to be favored and Dallas is just going to have to pray and hope that Anton Hudobin holds out and that they're able to score some fortunate goals. It's worked so far. I mean, they've conjured some kind of devil magic to get to this point where they are in the Stanley Cup Finals, and it's not like they haven't played well at times. I think that they've actually been good in a number of these games against teams where they weren't favored. Where they maybe do have a slight edge over someone like the New York Islanders is that they do have more goal-scoring talent, at least in my opinion. I think that this team is a little bit deeper and maybe has more offensive upside, but what they may also find is that they're not as defensively resilient. You know, what kind of separates them from Trotz is that Trotz's Isles are, are very defensively oriented. They try to stifle and, and suffocate you in the neutral zone, and then once you get into the defensive zone, shut you down by blocking your passing and shooting lanes. Dallas has been able to do that a lot less, and that's going to be an issue against a team with like Tampa Bay that creates a lot of cross sea movement and very quick passing. If Point and Stamkos end up coming back in this series, it's going to be really, really tough for the Stars. I mean, it's going to be tough for any team, but especially a comparatively weaker squad like Dallas. So I'm not really sure what I would call in terms of uh, like a game record, but I do think that Tampa Bay takes this one. I could see the Lightning doing this in six games, but maybe Dallas falters and they do it in less, or somehow Anton Hudobin puts on yet another masterclass and maybe steals the series. I don't really know. It's it's hard to say because Dallas has continually defied my expectations, especially against really top teams. And they haven't even needed to be great in all of the games that they've played because their goaltending has been outstanding and their goal-scoring contributions have been just enough to get them over the line. Can they do it one more time against Tampa Bay? Probably not likely, but we're going to find out soon enough. Closing us out tonight, I did want to cover the Alex Petrangelo news as well as some trade rumors surrounding Line A, but before then, I wanted to have a bit more of a serious conversation with the fellas. A lot of guys don't like talking about erectile dysfunction. It's really uncomfortable and for some men very embarrassing. Guys often blame themselves saying things like, I've lost my mojo, or they just avoid it altogether with excuses like, I've had a long day at work or I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it's finally easy to talk about it. You can speak with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication in a safe, simple, and totally discreet environment. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare pro will work with you step-by-step to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. Getting started with Roman is incredibly easy. Go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. 
That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL, GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and get the treatment you need. Welcome back to this final segment of the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets show. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Alex Petrangelo saga because it has taken an interesting turn. We did expect that Petrangelo would probably test free agency because that seemed to be the direction it was going, but now we have a bit more concrete confirmation that Petrangelo is going to be leaving the Blues. To put things in some context, Alex is a free agent at the age of 30, and he is still one of the best defensemen in the league. But the problem with him is that at age 30, you start to see a bit of a decline in your performance. Petrangelo has been pretty good throughout most of his career, and over the past couple of seasons, he's been outstanding. As such, the Blues definitely intended to keep him around, and they told him that they were willing to pay him $7.7 million a year for about seven years in, in term, which is all told a pretty darn good deal. I mean, you're looking at that and you're thinking, that's that's quite a bit of cash, quite a bit of term. What was the sticking point? And it turns out that the Blues didn't really want to disclose how they were going to structure the contract itself, which I think is, for a lot of guys, very scary because right now we're in the COVID era, and I think guaranteed money and, and different things like that are going to be very important to these guys. If their contract structures are driven by things like bonuses, in times where seasonal play is not actually guaranteed to take place as expected because of, again, COVID, you know, I could imagine why Petrangelo might have gotten a bit of cold feet, but I think that this divorce was probably longer in the making just because I think St. Louis needs to start getting younger on the back end and really across the rest of the roster, and Petrangelo, at his age, you want to be careful about tying the knot for a long-term deal. Now, as far as where he might land, there have been a couple of rumored destinations that it sounds like his agent wants him to end up in, and the first is Vegas, which I don't really see being a particular fit because Vegas just doesn't have any cap space. I think that they're against the wall. They have a pretty crowded blue line as it is, and though they could definitely use uh, someone like Petrangelo, I don't think they exactly have $8 million bucks a season to sign a 30-year-old defenseman to a seven-year deal. They're not really going to be looking to do something like that, and I think that that probably goes against not only their cap situation, but their roster philosophy in general. The other most heavily discussed destination has been Toronto, and I think it makes a lot of sense because Petrangelo has had a lot of ties to the Leafs in the past. I think that he likes the team or has at least been a fan, and he's talked, I think, a little bit about wanting to join them at some point, but I, I just think that for what he provides and what Toronto needs, he's a very good fit in terms of the fact that he's a top-end right-handed defenseman. He brings a ton of offense in a high-octane system, and he's still very good despite his age. Where I, I think that there is kind of an issue is that Toronto is also in a bit of a cap situation, and again, he's 30 years old. If he were to say that he wants to come to Winnipeg and asked for a similar deal to what the Blues offered him, or even more than that, I would absolutely want to walk away. The only term that I would be comfortable giving somebody like Alex is probably like four to five seasons at most, and I think it's because usually at this age you start declining very quickly. Like a two-thirds or three-quarter strength Petrangelo is still going to be pretty darn good, but not for the cap hit that he's going to bring along with him. With the cap itself likely to, re to remain flat over the next few seasons, I just don't see a scenario where he's going to have many options and places to sign. A lot of teams would have to move a lot of salary in order to bring him in, and I just don't know who can do that because they have to move salary to other teams, right? So what exactly is the salary going to be moved to if it's just to another squad that couldn't afford Petrangelo either? Sure, you could make sure that the fit is there for whatever trade you want to make, but then you're going to bring in a guy who's age 30 and you're signing him to a long-term contract at a huge cap hit. I just don't think that that is particularly advisable, except for a couple of teams that could maybe take the punt. 
As far as the Line A rumors are concerned, his name has come up again from Elliot Friedman as a potential target just because it sounds like he wants to play with Mark Shifley and the team feels otherwise. I don't know what exactly is going on on the back end of this. It could just be that, you know, one of the camps is pushing to have Line A promoted, or it could just be a talking head making up a thing that doesn't exist. The thing with this rumor is that we've heard something like this before, so there could be legs to it. Maybe Line A is dissatisfied, and certainly if he was, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think that if I were in his position, I would be happy knowing that a guy like Kyle Connor is playing on the top line while he has often played with guys like Cody Eakin and Brian Little. He wants the chance to show off his shot and be as productive and useful as possible, and right now he doesn't have that role. I would be more inclined for the Jets to give him that role before trading him, because obviously I think Liney has upside left that we have yet to see, and his game is starting to come together in a way that I think he could be a really complete attacking forward with some really good skills and a wondrously amazing shot. If he's traded, all I can say is that the return had better be darn good because it's going to break my heart and it's going to make me very upset. With that little bit of bad news out of the way, that's going to do it for tonight's episode. I hope you all enjoyed it, and before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National Podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Have a great night, see you tomorrow, and go Jets go!